Today's episode is brought to you by Medify, a self-awareness app designed by therapists to help you be your best self. Before we begin today's conversation with Terry Real, we want to remind you that Revision is coming up. It's the first Practice of Being Seen retreat, and it's being held in the Catskill Mountains this August 13th through 16th. Learn more at practiceofbeingseen.com events. The Practice of Being Seen is about understanding who you really are and daring to share your truth with the world. This is a conversation with and for seekers, creators, and holders of transformation. We believe that stories shape relationships, and relationships shape stories. This is Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist and founder of Connectfulness. And this is Marisa Gowdy, writer and storytelling coach for healers. And this is the practice of being seen. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. Today's guest is Terry Real. Terry is a nationally recognized family therapist, author, and teacher. He's particularly known for his groundbreaking work on men and male psychology, as well as his work on gender and couples. He's been in private practice for over 25 years. Terry has appeared often as a relationship expert for Good Morning America and ABC News, and he's been featured in numerous academic articles as well as media venues like Oprah, The Today Show, CNN, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and Psychology Today. In 1997, he published the national bestseller, I Don't Want to Talk About It, the first book ever written on the topic of male depression. This was followed by How Can I Get Through to You, an exploration of the role of patriarchy in relationships. And most recently, he's published The New Rules of Marriage, What You Need to Know to Make Love Work, a practical guide for couples and couples therapists. Terry has founded the Relational Life Institute in Arlington, Massachusetts, and he's dedicated to working with the general population to help women reclaim their voices and men open their hearts. The Institute offers a training program for therapists as well as workshops and trainings throughout the U.S. and Canada. Terry, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Welcome, Terry. We're really excited for this conversation today and to dive in with you, you know, around how to, how to live a relational life. I think this is just such a rich topic and certainly one that I know you bring a lot to. Well, uh, gosh, there's a lot of ways to say this. One way of saying it is that we're born to be connected. We're born to be in a state of authentic connection. Uh, the buzzword these days is attachment, uh, secure attachment. Little infants are connection-seeking, and children are great compassionate readers of emotion. And we all turn toward connection. We know that being relationally uh, richly connected it, it helps our uh, immune system. It helps our health. It probably puts years in our lives. And, of course, it helps our relationship to ourself, uh, first of all, self-esteem, good boundaries, uh, uh, feeling a sense of well-being inside your skin, a, a, a sense of a basic trust and optimism. Uh, and uh, it also means being related and connected to others through empathy, accountability, and vulnerability. So um, the, the revolution, as I see it, is the idea that relationality in adulthood uh, and kids, but let's say in adulthood, can be taught, can be learned, can be cultivated. And relationality is the cure for what ails us. You know, people like me get on these shows and somebody says, well, you're not saying it's a panacea, are you? And they say, no, no, no. You know what? It is a panacea. Being in a state of authentic intimacy is what we are born for. It's what we're designed for. It's what makes us happy. It's what makes us well-run machines. And it's, it's, our, it's part of our design. There's that study that came out of Harvard University, right? That 75-year study where they've been studying men for um, yes. multiple generations, like through, well, the same men. And what they have found is that the most important thing in their quality of life is the relationships that they have. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's good. I'd like the reference for that. I know, I know what he's talking about. <laughs> I always rely on the kindness of others. Now, the other thing is, okay, that's one way of saying it. Here's a different way of saying it. As a couples therapist, as you know, let me just out myself, I, uh, my sort of uh, specialité de maison is couples on the brink. 
couples on the brink of divorce, couples that nobody else has been able to help, that have been through a, a number of tries with different therapists and are, are about to pull the plug. And I'm the last ditch. I do a two-day intervention. Couples come in from around the country. And we meet for two solid days, at the end of which we decide you're either on track or divorcing. It's one or the other. We're done. And one of the, I mean, we're going to talk about the therapy and how it's different from most therapies. But one of the ways I have of describing it is that leading men and women into real intimacy, into the kind of intimacy that, we're, that we want nowadays, which is historically new, by the way. Marriage wasn't built for passionate, long walks on the beach, holding hands and heart-to-hearts and sex into your 70s. Really? It was, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm really sorry to tell you. <laughs> what, that's not what marriage is about. It was about companionship and stability. Right. You know, if you wanted that level of passion, go have an affair if you were a man. But um, – that's exactly what we want. And what I say is that leading men and women into this level of true intimacy is synonymous with leading them out of patriarchy. Oh. You know, I have to share with you, Terry, as I was reading the first chapter of the new rules of marriage, as I'm reading you describe these things, I'm, I'm it's like I'm sitting back in my women's studies classes at Boston College 15 years ago, mm. and it was as if I'm saying, wait a minute. He's, he's, he's reminding me this was all real, what I believed in so much and wanted to step into and understand, and I think in some ways have seen kind of fallen away because the real world doesn't always work like that. You articulated so many of those visions and dreams that I had had then as a young woman first embracing feminism. And it oh, felt like such you. a gift to say, A, we get to talk to this man. B, he's published an important book about this topic. I think that we all need to remember this together and we get the permission to do so. Yeah. Well, I think so. You know, feminism sort of took its hit. I, I used to uh, joke that I was a feminist family therapist and so I was obsolete two ways. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, for a while, uh, nobody was asking me to give talks on patriarchy and talks even on men were not incredibly well attended. Uh, after the election of our president and the implications thereof, and not just in the States, but all over the world, the resurgence of traditional masculinity with all of its unsavory, frightening characteristics, suddenly people are very interested again in the issue of patriarchy and difficult men and how to work with them for good reason. Let me put it this way. There's a great poem by Lawrence, D.H. Lawrence, called The Healing and it starts off, I am not a mechanism, a conglomeration of parts, and it's not because my parts don't work that I am ill. I am ill because of deep wounds to the soul. And then he talks about repentance. He talks about shifting away, the long, slow, difficult practice of repentance, which is about shifting away from the mistake, he writes, that mankind at large has chosen to sanctify, the mistake that mankind has chosen to sanctify. And that mistake is patriarchy. That mistake is the paradigm of dominion, of power over, as Rianne Eisler puts it, instead of power with. God gave Adam dominion over the earth. And some people say that's a mistranslation. And some people say that's a really bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that you're going here. I love this. Just thank oh, you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm going back to those deep wounds of the soul because you know, as I'm, I'm in your relational life training right now. And, I'm so happy about that. Oh my gosh, me too. It, it, it's one of the first trainings that I've ever sat through and, and taken where I'm just going, I feel like I've known this, but I haven't known that I've known this. I love hearing that part about it. I love hearing from students. Oh, you're telling me what you what I've been doing. Well, and <laughs> you're it, telling me to do what I've been doing. And you're but teaching I, me I, how to do it better. You're giving me more skills, but in the same tune, it, it just it resonates. It's like it's in my bones. I already there's something about this work that makes so much intuitive sense. Well, that's great. So I think that the extraordinary news here is that 
I talk to people about, I talk to therapists and other coaches about teaching our clients not just relational skills, but how to think relationally, yes. how to move beyond patriarchal thinking. It's not about, you're not above the system working on it or divorced from it. You are, thinking relationally is synonymous with thinking ecologically. Your relationship is your biosphere. You, you are not above it. You are in the sucker, and you are a subcomponent part, and you better take care of it. So if you choose to emotionally pollute over there and have a little temper tantrum, you're going to pay for it breathing that pollution in over here by your wife's coldness and resentment. Everything gets blown back. It's instant karma. You are, you are an integral part of the system in which you live. And so I don't even believe in altruism. I believe in taking care of the relationship that takes care of you. I believe in, uh, in what I call and teach particularly men but both men and women, enlightened self-interest. Mm. Happy wife, happy life. It is in your interest to have a partner who is relatively happy and happy with you. What a revolutionary thought. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 like I said, intuitively, the stuff makes sense. But I think very practically speaking, this is the stuff that... Um, is, is often hard to bring into the work. And one thing that I find um, as a relationship therapist, much less senior than yourself, is that a lot of other therapists in my network don't necessarily see that they're also part of the system. When we step into the room with a client, how we bring ourselves into the room, we enter into their system. And that's another thing that I think your work really addresses. Well, thank you. I mean, we have... Um... What happened is that after my books came out, I started getting calls from around the country. Do you have somebody in Topeka or L.A. or wherever, or New York, that does what you do? And back then, I, I, I did. Now, after the Institute, I do. There are trained RLT therapists in most major cities. I'm very pleased about that and more coming. But um, back then, no. And so I had people come to Boston, and uh, I evolved this two-day intervention. And it worked really quite well. It it worked remarkably well. And what I noticed is that in these two days, I was breaking virtually every therapy rule that I'd learned in school. <laughs> and one of them is uh, this idea of therapeutic neutrality. Right. Mm. Can you talk more about that? Because I, I love this. This is Well, yeah. in traditional therapy, the therapist hides behind a mask of professionalism and neutrality. It's almost a joke in psychoanalytic work, you know, that they, they won't say a thing about themselves. And that comes straight out of Freud. That's transference-based therapy. If, if the therapy is that the way you heal is you project all your gunk onto me, all your negative expectations from your childhood and your family of origin. And rather, as, we, as you become more and more vulnerable to me, and the relationship means more and more, over and over again, rather than to treat you in the unkind ways or neglectful ways or whatever ways you were treated as a child, I treat you with nurture and respect and connection. And that you, the client, take in that corrective emotional experience it's called and it heals you that's the that's therapy it takes 10 years or so uh there i think there are more effective ways of doing it but that's traditional transverse based therapy uh, what we're taught as a therapist is to stay neutral and what we're taught as couples therapists is to never take sides and you teach something different because i read and i i think it was i don't want to talk about it where you were talking about how Typically in therapy, you reparent the client, but what you try to teach your clients is how to reparent themselves. That's right. I want you to have a corrective emotional experience between you and you. And I want you to have a corrective emotional experience between you and your partner. Can I tell you a story? You guys are into stories. Oh, we love stories. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a story. This is a true story. Uh, exemplary story. So uh, I'm dealing with a guy. I'm dealing with a couple. The guy is a sex addict. He's in recovery. Uh, he did terrible things, uh, and like most sex addicts, if not all sex addicts in my book, he's a love avoidant, and he had terrible 
um, intrusion and suffocation and domination by his mother uh, in a relationship we call enmeshed. It was boundaryless. It was an enmeshed relationship. And so his mother tried to control him. His mother tried to own him. And what he did was what many uh, people in general do, boys in particular, is he hid. He gave unto mother what was mother's, and he had his secret life of spontaneity and breaking the rules and being his own man. But he had to keep that out. And so what evolved was the split. Uh, you, 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 in intimacy in your family, you love out of obligation. You do your duty, and then your pleasure, spontaneity, uh, ecstatic uh, bliss, sexuality—that's all in the back alley. Mm-hmm. You get this? Mm-hmm. It's a love-lust split. So he has this split, and he's been a liar his entire life. He lies. So we're in therapy together. About two months in. He goes to the store with a list from his wife of what to buy. Comes back, we'll say, without the milk, whatever it was. Comes back without the milk. The wife says, where's the milk? And he says, uh, he, he starts to say the words, they were out of milk. He says, they were, and he stops. Hmm. It's what I call second consciousness. And he looks at his wife and he says, I forgot it. Oh. It's amazing to leave space to recognize the profound nature of something so small and how that obviously has echoes through his entire life, their entire relationship into the past and into the future. Well, let me tell you what happened. She starts to cry. Mm. And she says, I've been waiting for this moment for 20 years. For him to own that responsibility. For him to stop lying. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So that's a corrective emotional experience between him and him and between him and her. And to me, you know, I I like being a powerful therapist and all that, but really it's not about me. You don't go home with me. You go home with each other and you go home with yourself. (laughs) So that's how it works. This is really literally teaching people how to live more relational lives, how to be more connected to themselves. You know, guys, for example, about being connected to yourself. I have a list of primary emotions. Ladies who are listening, (laughs) write these down. It may help you with your men. Uh, Primary emotions. I got this from my, my, one of my great mentors, Pia Melody. You can make up your own. Joy, (laughs) joy, pain, anger, fear, shame, guilt, love. Joy, pain, anger, fear, shame, guilt, love. I, I, I have this laminated, uh, you know, on, on like a sheet of uh, paper. A guy says to me, I don't know, I'm, I don't know what I feel, I don't know what I feel. I, okay, good, here, here's the paper. <laughs> joy, joy, pain, anger, fear, shame, guilt, love. What are you feeling as you sit on that couch right now? The guy looks at the list and goes, well, uh, I guess I'm feeling some, uh, some fear. <laughs> uh, Where is that in your body? It's in my... Chest, what's it feel like? Kind of butterflies. If those butterflies could speak, what would they be saying? Well, I think they'd say, uh, I, I want to do this right. Hmm. Okay, what else are you feeling? I don't know. Well, if, you, if you're nervous about doing right, is there a part of you that, that thinks you might do it wrong or you are going to do it wrong? So, yeah. Okay, that's called shame. Okay, I feel that. and we're off yeah it's it's so much about teaching them how to get into those places how to how to open up and see how they are feeling and what they do feel because i find at least in my work so many people are disconnected even just from knowing how to feel exactly well one of the great things i say to people though is your feelings uh, haven't left you you've left them yes And your feelings have been perking along all this time. You've just been tuned out to them. But trust me, they've been coming out sideways. (laughs) They're not not there. It's just that you haven't been there. It's about tuning the satellite dish in and, uh, and picking up the signal from inside instead of paying attention outside. I have these kind of men who are out of touch, some women, but mostly men are out of touch with their emotions, keep journals and dream logs and have feelings checks. And it's a practice. Yeah. 
you know, there's this app that um, they're actually sponsoring our podcast right now. They're called Medify. And they also, it's a free app and it lets people track their feelings also. You could start with kind of talking about one of the primary emotions or you could start with talking about where in your body you're experiencing it and you get to rate it on different levels and make notes. So um, that's a also really nice way that I have some clients track their feelings. Oh, that's great. Into technology. I'm check that out. Yeah, it's really I'm, awesome. I'm check that out. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I love using technology. Here, here, I like to teach guys uh, in particular these sort of, because I deal with sort of high powered, you know, type AAA guys a lot. I am one, but um, uh, I, I, I have guys work on being more cherishing of their wives, less workaholic and, and more like lovers. One of the things I say is if you want a lifelong lover relationship, you have to act like a lover in it. So I teach these guys how to be more lover-esque. And uh, I can't, these guys... I can't tell you, I've got, oh, I don't know, a half a dozen guys who are putting reminders in their iPhones, must cherish wife. <laughs> <laughs> because loving is an act of doing. It's an act of being. It's, it's a way that you show up. It's not just something that you walk away from feeling. Yeah, that's right. I say, look, you can cherish your wife and your kids and give them nothing, but the cherishing is not just a feeling, it's also an... I said, that's like, I have a big tree in my office, a house plant, a potted tree, and I say, you know that big tree over there? That, 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 that's like, you know, I love that tree. I wish that tree well. I never water it, but... <laughs> I never it. Is it plastic? <laughs> <laughs> so Terry, if it's okay, there, there's a few things that you have said um, and a few things that I've read in your work that I just kind of wanted to, to kind of bring us back to. Um, and one of those things, you know, you just said, I am one, like you were talking about these men you work with and you said, I am one. And another thing that like I've picked up on a lot in your work is how you talk about these old wounds and the generations that it takes to heal. Um, and even in talking about these primary emotions and the feelings and how you, your feelings haven't left you, but you've left them, there's all of this like resonance of, you know, trauma and dissociation um, and just kind of how that, the, the fact that you are one, that you're joining with um, who your clients are, that you can also relate to them and that you've been through this work. Yeah. I, I just felt like that was something also interesting just to kind of sit with for a minute. Well, there are really two pieces in what you're talking about. You're talking about trauma and the multi-generational legacy. And you're talking about the fact that I've been through it myself, as I have. I wrote in, mm -hmm. I don't want to talk about it, but my own relationship with my dad and um, my own struggles with depression and my own uh, early childhood trauma at my father's hands. Um, uh, so there's that. I'll, I'll go back to that. The the point you just made is the therapy point that I'm a real person with my clients. Yes. You know, the great uh, analyst Harry Stack Sullivan said it's the mark of a senior clinician that they're the same person crossing their office as they are crossing their bedroom. They're, they're, it's, you're one, you're you. And one of the things I, I say is uh, I, I can't teach people how to be relational without being relational with them. Mm -hmm. So my message to therapists is come out from behind that neutral mask, be a person. We, as you know from our training in relational life therapy, the therapy I've created, we judiciously disclose, self-disclose, we make a point of it. So I'll talk about the fight I had with Belinda. Uh, I'll talk about the struggle that I have with my ADHD kid. Uh, I'll talk about my struggles with depression. Um you you have to do it as a therapist in a way that doesn't burden the client mm -hmm. and in a way that doesn't invite the client to take care of you. Because but if within, you don't, you're inviting another power dynamic into the room, right? Yeah, it's just like you're not it, – it's, it's, it's a form of enmeshment. You're not there. You're there for them. They're not there for you. That's not the point. You're not, you're not, pay, you're not paying each other. You're being yeah. paid. Mm -hmm. Uh. So, uh, so, but within those parameters, um, you know, therapists lose an, an incredible, powerful tool 
I, I can't tell you in exit interviews over and over again when I ask people what was the most important thing, they say, I, I trusted you because I knew you'd been through it. Mm-hmm. And I can't – and, you know, you look at – I look at a guy and I say, you know, Tom, I was you. I used to hate myself just like you do. And I used to self-medicate just like you do. And I used to run from my depression just like you are. And none of those things are true for me anymore. I'm happy inside my skin. I'm not running from anything. And I know how to stay firm and have my feet planted in the ground. Let me tell you something. This is better than that is. (laughs) And you, you know what? If I can do it, you can do it. So let's go. And then you teach them how to do it. And exactly. the how is, it's a practice. It's an ongoing, an ongoing, I think you've called it a spiritual practice. I do. I talk about um, relational mindfulness. I talk about second consciousness. Go, let's go back to the story of the guy with the, with the milk in, in the store, the liar. Mm. Uh, I talk about first and second consciousness. Uh, whoosh, I call it. W-H-O-O-S-H. It, first consciousness. It's your knee-jerk response. It's very visceral comes over you like a wave. It feels very compelling. And it, it, it's your reflexive, uh, his knee-jerk response, his adaptation from his intrusive mother was to lie, to protect himself. And then what learning to live relationally is about is developing a second consciousness, prefrontal cortex, to be specific. And uh, that part of you, the functional adult part of you, we call it, can stop and think and choose and do something different. It's considered. It's thoughtful. It's free. And the beauty in this is that second consciousness can be actively cultivated. It's amazing, isn't it? Shifting out of what we call the adaptive child part of you into the functional adult part of you is something you can learn to do and learn to do better. Yes. You know, you talked about um, uh, technical uh, aids. Uh, Do you know the group HeartMath? No, I don't. They're a group, they've been around, they called me up once, they said, you know your work on the functional adult part of you and the adaptive child part of you? I said, yeah. They said, we've got about 30 years worth of research substantiating that. They're different parts of the brain. Mm. And uh, these were cardiologists who were working with stress 30 years ago. And what they came up with is measuring not the speed of one's heart rate, but what they call the heart rate coherence, the smoothness of the beat, which can be measured versus the sort of jaggedness ah. in, in the way that it fires. Well, it turns out if you smooth out your heart rate, uh, you're in your prefrontal cortex. You're in your adult. So you're it can that, be it can be measured. It can be it can be better than that. You can use it like neurofeedback. They have a gizmo. I have it, I use it in my office. They have a gizmo, you clip it to your ear or you put your thumb on it, and you turn the light from red to blue to green. Just by kind of playing with, I'm guessing with your breathing, yeah. Breathing. You breathe into your heart. It's a way of teaching yourself how to bring yourself to that smoother place. When When you're in that smoother place, you're in your functional adult. And you're getting the feedback from the light. Right, yeah, to keep keep yourself there uh-huh. now so i have a highly reactive couple right yelling screaming blah 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 like two magnets that can't get away from each other yelling and carrying on uh, and and i'll have some uh it's one of them one partner i'll say the gal come in and it's like bam, 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 and i'll say hold on a second here and i explain what it is this is called the name wave turn the light green here's how you do it slowly 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 it turns green hold it in green well, you talk to me. Okay. All right. Okay. I can do it. Good. Now I want you to turn to your husband and say what you want to say to him, but I want you to keep the light green while you talk to him. <laughs> and it comes out completely differently because they're in their functional adult. Now I don't use that every time, but it's an example of uh, shifting out of the triggered, immature, adaptive parts of us into something that is thoughtful and more mature yes. and, more, and more adult. 
Yeah, and I think that's also, it also resonates with some of Gottman's work where they teach their um, clinicians to use pulse oximeter meters throughout sessions on the clients, I think for very much the same reason. Yeah, very similar. Yeah. Now, uh, relational life therapy, this process, has three parts to it, mm -hmm. three phases. The first phase is loving confrontation, which most therapists don't do. We take sides. Not all problems are 50-50. We call it like we see it. Listen, this is what you're doing to blow your foot off, Rebecca. This is what you're doing to defeat yourself, Marissa. And uh, you look at it, and it's true. It's clear. Let, let me, I talk about stance, stance, and dance. His stance, her stance, the heterosexual couple, and the choreography between them. Mm -hmm. So here's a simple one. Um, here's a simple dysfunctional stance that would be confronted in this early phase of the therapy. Um, one we're all familiar with. Angry pursuit. <laughs> Have either of you ever indulged in or been on the receiving end of somebody else's angry pursuit? I think I've been on both sides. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're a human being. I am. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. Ditto. I wear that badge proudly. All right. <laughs> And, of course, here's my Dr. Phil question. How well did that work for you? Oh, it didn't. On either side. No. Angry pursuit is an oxymoron. Hmm. Angry pursuit is a contradiction in terms. There's nothing seductive about anger. It's really angry complaint. I call it po poking the bear at my house because that's my husband. My <laughs> husband's nickname is Bear. And when I was I'm like, oh, I'm poking the bear. <laughs> Sugar. <laughs> So um, the spiritual practice of intimacy is about coming out of that first consciousness into second consciousness, out of that knee-jerk triggered immature response, we call it the adaptive child part of you, into the functional part of you. It's really, there really are two different parts of the brain, the limbic system and the prefrontal cortex. And, um, there, and then once you're there, uh, you need skills. But let me go back. So the first order of business is a very precise diagnosis of what you're doing, of your vicious circle as a, as a pair, what you're doing that gets in the way. The more she angrily pursues, the more he stonily withdraws, and the more he stonily withdraws, the more she angrily pursues. We ask all RLT therapists to be able to, to feed back to their couples the more, the more by the end of the first session. Oh, you two have been caught by a horrible pursuer-distancer pattern. The more you pursue, the more she dist he distances, the more he distances, the more you pursue. Poor thing. The blame is on the pattern, not the people, ever. Mm -hmm. The blame is on the pattern. You've been caught by, by this horrible pattern. Will you let me get you out of it? Who says no? Everybody says yes. So that's the first phase. The second phase is tricky. The second phase is family of origin, your childhood. Where did you learn this? How did these adaptions, what were you adapting to? Uh, who did you see do it? Or who did it to you? Or who did you do it to and nobody stopped you? Mm. These are all ways in which the adaptive child part of us gets born. And we adapt to whatever's going on in our crazy families in our childhood. And we keep that adaptation. We think it's our personality, but it's not. It's an immature version of a personality. And this is also, I mean, I'm, I, this is also part of the spiritual practice, right? It's kind of waking up to, in, in some ways perhaps, maybe another way to talk about this is what parts of, of this is like an ancestral wound, is, is deeper than my own existence, Yes, we do talk about legacy and carried feelings um, and how this gets passed on from generation to generation. I, I, uh, I like to say it's the height of presumption to quote yourself, but may I? Yeah. <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, I, I mash it, but this is something along the lines of what I wrote, and I don't want to talk about it. Um, family pathology rolls like a fire in the woods from generation to generation, taking everything down in its path until one person in one generation 
has the courage to turn and face the flames. That person brings peace to his ancestors and spares the children that follow. This has a whole new resonance to the idea of the seven generations and thinking about the ways we're all interconnected through those times. Yeah, say more. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about that, that Native American wisdom that says we make choices that affect seven generations in the future. And, and then also understanding it's about our relationship to the past and how seven generations before us, what patterns did they set? What choices did they make? What did people do to them that affects where we are today? Yeah. That's right. You know, uh, I wrote, and I don't want to talk about it, that I'm the son of an angry, depressed, violent man who was the son of an angry, depressed, violent man, and I don't know about my great-grandfather. And that uh, probably my life's greatest achievement is that my two boys won't say that. See, that, to me right there, that, that feels so incredibly deeply spiritual. Yeah. That's the journey. Yeah. That is, I mean, what is, what is more conscious or um, free from your own? I once heard Krishnamurti, the great spiritual teacher, say the real autonomy was freedom from our own automatic reaction. Real freedom was freedom from our own automatic reactions. And, and that's moving into second consciousness. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, okay. So the second, uh, the first uh, part of RLT is this confrontation and, and exactly what you said, what I call waking up our, mm-hmm. our clients. I'll tell you a story. Um, I have this on film. I show it when I do presentations. Guy was uh, verbally abusive to his wife for over two decades and uh, like a lot of uh, verbally abusive uh, people, he, his story was, it just comes over me too quickly, I can't control it. So I teach him how to take a time out. You can always control turning heel and leaving. If you stay there and open your mouth, demons may come out, but you can always go, I got to leave and take a time out. And I teach people if you go to my website, which I'd love your listeners to do, yes. by, by, I have a one-page layout about how to take, how to exactly take how a time. How to take a time out. It's a wonderful one-pager. We'll link to it in our show notes for our listeners. Oh, great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Because it needs to be done right. It needs to be done precisely. If you do it sloppily, it won't work. Anyway, I teach me a time out. And um, now where was I? What was I talking about? I you were you were talking about the gentleman who had been abusive to his wife oh, yeah, for right, two right, decades. Right. So I gave him that tool, uh, but then uh, I move into family of origin. Once I have the the dysfunctional stance, I move from the stance into where did you learn it? So where did you learn it? Who did you see do this? Well, my mom died, and then my father remarried, and they divorced, and then my stepmother came in when I was about eight. And I guess you'd have to say it was her. Okay, tell me about your stepmother. Oh, my. She was the meanest, nastiest person that ever walked this earth. And with a few examples. Then I look at him and I say, so she's the one who taught you how to do this? He goes, yeah, I guess so. I say, well, what's it like to realize that in those moments when you... It, let your anger get the better of you. You've become her. Mm-hmm. And he says, to have somebody paint me with the same brush that you would paint her with, to see me through that same lens that you would look at her, it makes me sick. He said, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed, I'm ashamed. And I said, I'm quoting the exact session. Mm-hmm. Then, I, then I said, that shame is healthy. If you'd had that shame up front, it would stop you from being offensive to your wife. Mm. But you were past a multi-generational legacy of shamelessness. And I said, look, uh, do you have a picture of your stepmother? No. Can you get one? Yeah. All right, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get a picture of your stepmother. I want you to put it in your back pocket. 
And you have permission to rage at her whenever you want. I can't stop you. If you're going to rage, you're going to rage. But before you rage, you have to promise me you're going to do this first. Take out a picture of your stepmother, look her in the eye, and say, right now, acting like you is more important to me than my wife is. <laughs> and he said, that would stop me in my tracks. It's not true. And uh, I said, well, let's see. And I want to tell you, that was a one-shot consultation that was two and a half years ago, and he has not been abusive since that conversation. I've gotten to see that video a few times, and it always, just like it did just now, it, it just, the feels that come with that story, with watching this interaction and, and that moment where he realizes that he can rage at his wife, but he needs to talk to that picture and tell his stepmother how important it is to be just like her. That is just, it, it's such a powerful moment. It's such a powerful realization. And I have to tell you that when Rebecca came back from seeing you speak for the first time, she said, you need to know about this man, Terry Real, and let me tell you the story that he told. <laughs> and it was the, that was, you know, the most that powerful impression. That was, that was the story that I shared. That was yeah. the one. Yeah. Well, After well. the networker. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and by the by, that's what I call waking up our clients. Mm -hmm. That's that first phase. I call it waking them up. In this case, waking up that man's conscience. Uh, the second phase is family of origin, inner child work, trauma right. work. Uh, because you can't just teach skills cognitively. The, the, the problem, I don't want to get too complicated, but the problem is that that adaptive child part of us doesn't want to be intimate. It doesn't want to use skills. It wants to be right or control or do one of what I call the five losing strategies. Being right, controlling your partner, unbridled self-expression, retaliation, or withdrawal. That's where your adaptive child's going to go. Adaptive children are not about intimacy. They're about self-preservation. They don't like vulnerability. So um, uh, it, it, the problem is that uh, when that, you know, I, I have another uh, for uh, both therapists and non-therapists alike, I'd love for you all to uh, take my online course on basic relationship skills. It's, it's, uh, it's really great. It's about a day long. You can watch it all in one go or you can break it up, you know, get some popcorn. <laughs> there, are ex there are exercises and stuff to do. And um, This is different from your RLT training. This is yeah, a different no, this course. Is the, this is for the general public. Yeah. Uh, this is about how – this is basic relationship skills, how to have good self-esteem, good boundaries, how to ask for what you want, how to stand up for yourself in a loving way, how to respond with flexibility and generosity instead of defensiveness, and how to cherish each other. It's not bad. Oh, no, that doesn't sound bad at all. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I have slides as I go through this thing, and one of my favorite slides is other workshops teach you skills. We deal with the part of you that won't use them. <laughs> acknowledging that just like holding that that's such a key part of the work yeah yeah so that's not first and second consciousness right but uh you're not going to be able to just use these skills until you do some trauma work or you're going to get overwhelmed and flooded and that's and happening in phase two the trauma work is happening in phase two that's in work. phase two and yeah. then phase three is the education mm -hmm. this is how you do it this is how you stand up for yourself with love instead of, you know, aggression. Um, so those are the three phases of, of, the, of the work. And I think it takes all three to produce, you know, from the training that what we're about is total transformation of the, of the person. Right. With, uh, complete character overhauls. And um, it, it takes all three of those, I believe, to do that. You have to do deep. You know, a lot of my brethren in therapy right now think you do the trauma work, you got it knocked. Mm. But they leave out the confrontation and they leave out the, the teaching. Forget it. Then there's other, uh, like Gottman is heavy on the on skill the education. building. Yeah. But doesn't do the trauma work. So I think it's all three that makes for this transformation. Yeah. 
Yeah, we, we like triangles and threes. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to ask a question, and this is the writer in me that asks this. And it, as I'm trying to, you know, distilling everything we've said over these last 40 minutes or so, and thinking about, you know, the ad- adaptive child and not liking rules and having some resistance against that, and then thinking about just the depth of compassion and, and vastness that you look at all this through. And I happen to have your website called up right now, and I see that, you know, the tagline underneath your name is New Rules for Couples. And yeah. I just would love to kind of talk about holding, you must hold rules in a really beautiful, unique way. Certainly it's the name of your newest book, but I'd love to talk about how, how rules plays into this and where there might be some resistance around that, um, that you've <laughs> seen in people. And I'm sure you've thought your way through and around that to help us hold that in a different way. Yeah. Well, they're not rules that are imposed on you. They're more like the physical laws of nature. Mm. Uh, it's like um, yell at your partner on Tuesday and don't expect sex on Wednesday. It ain't gonna happen. <laughs> well, that we, we're thinking ecologically, right? That sounds like exactly. that's all related. Yeah. Okay, that's exactly okay. right. It's, mm-hmm. it's it's the rules of a relationship and how to work it. And the new rules uh, are about the old rules, and the old rules were about traditional gender roles and patriarchy. Mm. And the so the new rules, rules are breaking about, out of that. That's right. The old rules are about win-lose, zero-sum, dominance and submission, which is finding the bedroom but nowhere else. And uh, this is about moving beyond those rules and adopting a new set. I could have said skills, but a new set of practices. And it's not as if the new rules are there are no rules, but because we, we still need those boundaries and structures to hold us. You know, I like to say uh, 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 that when I'm in that confrontational phase, when I say, uh, when I would say to you back in the day, uh, you know, uh, I, I have really bad news for you, oh, oh angry pursuant uh, Rebecca or Mirth. Uh, here's the news: uh, angry pursuit is not seductive. <laughs> it's just not a turn on. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and so that that's that's what I mean by uh, moving uh, beyond the scripts that you were handed as a child, mm-hmm. uh, m- which are partly what you saw and partly your rebellion against what you saw. So it's a it's an amalgam of both of those, uh, and how you adapted to what you saw. And um, uh, so it's about moving into that Krishnamurti space of. Uh, Liberation, uh, freedom, choice, perspective. I'm, I'm just like letting that settle because this is just such, I think this is a great place for us to kind of land, that these new rules are about liberation. Yeah. While still yeah. staying in, in the bounds of a union. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. Wow. That's the thing. I talk about, let me end with this. I talk about the difference between personal empowerment and relational empowerment. Mm. And personal empowerment is about the growth of the individual, fine, as far as it goes. But there's a deeper place to go, which is growth in connection. You're growing and the relationship is growing with you. Sometimes it's, it's kind of ugly. Sometimes that, that growth takes some accommodating. But it's about bringing your strength into the relationship and celebrating both. Yes. It's not either or, it's both end. Yeah. Yeah. Terry, I want to thank you. So much of this conversation is speaking so much to the core of where I am personally right now. And I think I can probably speak to for many, many, many of our listeners who would feel the same way. But this has just really opened so many profound doors. And as I next go and start reading to my husband a few sentences here and there from your book while we're lying in bed at night, I'm gonna do yes. I'm gonna do it with an even bigger smile and be like, and now honey, you can go listen to the podcast and it won't just be my voice, it'll actually be his voice. And I think maybe then you'll really hear it. So thank you so much. Thank you You're for welcome. this. Welcome. Well, thank you for having me, both of you. And it's really delightful. Uh, I, I, it didn't feel like an interview. It felt like we were just hanging out together. Oh, good. That's the way we like it. <laughs> Terry, how can our listeners get a hold of you and learn more? I know we talked about your website where they can, just the general public and everybody can take a course. And we also have some therapists in our audience. I know yeah. I'm currently in your RL, your online RLT level one course, and I'll be uh, seeing you in uh, Toronto this September. Oh, um, hold on one second. Before you do that, how are you liking the level one course? Oh my gosh, I'm loving it. 
I want more of it. I don't think that there's enough of it. I want more. (laughs) (laughs) But I also, like, I I learn best in person. So I'm really looking forward to September in Toronto. Yeah, Yeah. that's great. That's great. So um, it's still not too late uh, to sign up for you therapists for the level one training. Uh, there are all sorts of other goodies uh, on my website for you, for the general public. There's the staying in love workshop. There's a relationship inventory. You can take this a lot of fun. Uh, it's just chuck full of stuff. It's brand. We just transformed the website actually. And the the um, website is, let's just say it out loud and we'll put it, we'll put the link as well. Just just go to my name, terryreal.com. Great. Or just Google Terry Real and you'll and you'll find it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's been such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it was great. Thank you for having me. Take care. Thank you, Terry. You Today's episode was brought to you by Medify. Medify is a self-awareness app created by therapists. It's available for free on Android and Apple devices. What I love about it is that it helps you tune into some of those primary emotions, some of those primary feelings that we talked about with Terry today on the show. Things like joy, pain, anger, fear, shame, guilt, and love. You start to notice that you're feeling those things. You start to journal about where you're feeling them in your body. And it really helps you reestablish and strengthen the emotional connection that you have between both your mind and your body through the noticing. You talk so much about the noticing and we know that's so important. And you know, it's important to remember too that when Terry heard about Medify, he said, cool, I'll have to check it out. (laughs) So be like Terry and go search for it on your favorite app store. And before we close out today, we wanna remind you, if you're a therapist, we'd love to have you with us for revision. Explore your stories, shape your future. This retreat is coming up August 13th through 16th at Menla Mountain Retreat in the Catskill Mountains. We see this as a time to pause, to practice some radical self-care, to look at what you've been working on, and to start really looking into what you want to start manifesting moving forward. For more, visit us at practiceofbeingseen.com events. And for more great content, check out practiceofbeingseen.com and spread the word by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the podcast. Music written and performed by Christopher Ferris and produced at Kidneystone Studio.